0: In heaven. I know it's a sad, sad fact that very, very few, even professedly Christian families, open the Word, have prayer other than at mealtime. Such sobering statistics about the busyness and uh, mundane lives that we live that aren't infused with the power and joy of Jesus Christ. I pray that this would not be the case for the families that are viewing this material. Lord, that that we might see these quotes and be inspired to truly weave Jesus into all of the experience of the daily life of our children, to bring the word to them, to show unconditional love and be the kind of person that reflects your character so clearly. Help us to make that commitment to be in your word. Help us to make that commitment to walk with you throughout the day, to be healthy so that we can reflect your love to our children. And as we look in subsequent sessions about how specifically how to disciple them, and how to discipline them. And as we look at what it means to train their characters for you for your kingdom, I just pray for your continued presence and for your word to be spoken. In Jesus' name, amen. The atmosphere of the home is primary. And that atmosphere is set by your spiritual tone that you bring into the home. We should never be short or rude to our children. We've got the golden rule. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Children are others. They are human beings. They are actually our brothers and sisters in Christ, if you think about it that way. They are the younger members of the Lord's family. He's our father. They're our brothers and sisters who've been entrusted to our care, and we have to treat them with the utmost respect and regard. Few realize the effect of a mild, firm manner, even in the care of an infant. The fretful, impatient mother or nurse creates peevishness in the child in her arms. Whereas a gentle manner tends to quiet the nerves of the little one. Isn't that lovely? The atmosphere of the home, the treating of kindness. There, there's a whole bunch on that in Discs 5 and 6, uh, which is interviews, just wonderful, wonderful interviews from parenting experts on that. And they talk about kindness and respect. And yes, I know that this is a stressful job. And so how do you keep that cheerful attitude? One thing that I've learned is a statement from Spirit of Prophecy, actually, that says that a a, a good respiration soothes the nerves. Good breathing, deep breathing from the diaphragm. That soothes the nerves. Now, science shows that there's actually a nerve up in the upper back part of the neck here that links into the limbic system of the brain. The Limbic system is where you have all your emotional you know, stress and everything. That that nerve, the dorsal vagal nerve, actually soothes or calms when you de- breathe deeply. So this statement from the 19th century is validated by modern science. So just one tip, use deep breathing. Be sure to be walking with the Lord throughout the day and you'll have that cheerful atmosphere in the home. Which brings us to another finding. Successful parents love their child unconditionally. When you have your personal devotions, live healthy, walk with the Lord, make sure to manage the stressful situations through various techniques of of having Jesus in your life, then you're going to naturally show unconditional love to your children. And and unconditional, that means regardless of their behavior, regardless of their performance, the way that God loves us. Always showing them, even in their misbehavior, showing them kindness and respect. They, They never earn our anger, our impatience. They don't deserve our frustration. They do need discipline. We're going to talk about that in session four. But... Showing them, even when they've misbehaved, that we still love them. But one example of this showing affection, even in disciplinary situations. Uh, one time, I, I got in the habit of, with my son Levi, um, every night, rubbing his back and praying for him. Every night. And I, I had done this for about a week every night. And I said, yeah, I'm going to do this every night, buddy. This is great. You know, let's just have a little time here. And, and then he had a, you know, pretty serious misbehavior the next day after one of those. And he asked me, Dad, are you still going to rub my back and pray for me tonight? He asked me that while I was disciplining him. Like, basically, Dad, do you still love me even when I misbehave? And I just was melted with uh, love for my son. Absolutely, son. There was nothing you could ever do that would make me not rub your back and pray for you at night. Because that's the principle of God's character of love. It is unconditional. And that's not some sentimentalism. That is a principle of self-sacrificing. Sometimes I don't really feel love right now when I'm mad at you, but I'm going to commit to it anyway. And Barna also found these parents were sacrificers. That's the principle of love. They gave up their aspirations and preferences for the benefit of the kids. So yes, they have plenty of affection. They display their unconditional affection, but also they sacrifice. That's true love. Biblical love is self-sacrificing beneficence for the benefit of another, even though I get nothing out of it. And that's what these parents did. I'd rather be doing this. If you think about, you know, yes, there's plenty of joy in parenting, but, you know, if you think, you know, you're thinking about being a parent, you're a young person. And you're going, you oh, know, kids are so cute, wouldn't that be fun? Wouldn't that be nice to have a little baby? And it would be so it would bring so much joy into my life and I would enjoy it and it would be a really neat thing for me to to enjoy. Find a career right away, if that's your thinking, because being a parent is a daily rigorous act of self-sacrifice. Yes, there's tons of joy. I don't want to take that away, but you don't become a parent for the fun of it, okay? Uh, What children find enjoyable isn't always the same as what parents find enjoyable, just as an example. You know, when you're an uncle or an aunt, you're playing with your nieces and nephews, kind of fun, but by the like 50th time that your 2-year-old asks you to do something again and again, you know Adventist on page 18 says make the children's lives as happy as possible we love our children not to get something out of it. It's self-sacrificing. You got the idea. Fathers should unbend from their false dignity and deny themselves in order to mingle with the children, sympathizing with them in their little troubles, binding them to their hearts by the strong bonds of love and establishing such an influence over their expanding minds that their counsel will be regarded as sacred. And by the way, another result of personal devotions, living healthy, walking with God, is that you're going to start talking about God and and experiencing Christ in your day with your children. This is what Barna found in his research. Successful parents engage in what he called God talk. In other words, they talk about God. They weave the Lord into their daily experience. It's not something that, you know, there's a compartment for spiritual and religious things over here. Then there's the rest of my life here. And occasionally we open that door and go there and then we come back. No, it's all one and the same. Life is with Christ. I walk with God. Christ is not a stranger in their homes. His name is a household name. Show in your life that Jesus is everything to you. So you talk about him. He's everything to you. You help them to weave Jesus into their experience. And when your children do wrong... Uh, she may present as a reproof the words of God. So the words of God are woven into even those disciplinary moments. Avoid tedious remarks, by the way. Short remarks, and to the point, will have a happy influence. If much is to be said, make up for briefness by frequency. So we are frequently bringing up the Lord. We are weaving him into our experience. We have him as a household name. We're to pray with our children. We're to, we're to talk about Jesus all the time. Not just during moments where, where we feel it's the proper spiritual time. Our family keeps a prayer journal. And every time that something occurs where we feel we need to pray, and sometimes Levi will say, We should pray about that. And so we'll write it in the prayer journal that we prayed for something. And then we will see that it was answered, and we'll have a column asked and a column answered. And it's amazing when children pray. How much of those get answered in miraculous ways? Uh, one example just happened last week right before I came here. Uh, for the second year in a row this happened. I'll tell you what happened last year and then it happened again last week. But last year's story is a little better. We were digging our carrots up, pulling our carrots up for the year because we, we grow, you know, b- garden beds here. And We had about a hundred foot bed of carrots. This year we had a hundred foot bed and another half. And last year we were, we were pulling these all up and we were snipping the tops off and we were getting the bins of sand out and putting the carrots in the sand and early in the morning when we had set out to do this as the big day, before the frost comes, you know, it's a big deal. And you got to have the weather right because you can't have it raining on the carrots. or you put them in the sand wet and they're going to get ruined and not store well in the root cellar. So we want a dry day, dry them in the sun a bit. And we just prayed, Lord, please hold off the rain because there was rain in the forecast. It was supposed to be a rainy day. But then right after this, it was going to get really, really, really cold. And, you know, we wanted to get them out of the ground and get them in the root cellar and start eating them. So we prayed and it didn't rain all day but the really dramatic part of the story is we filled the last bin with sand just one of these plastic bins you know big tubs like this and you have the, the the top and we went with the last top we went click and literally that second it started raining isn't that awesome I mean you got all day how many minutes are there in a day what are the chances of that And if you're like, well, the rare events do occur, you know, it could be a coincidence. It happened again this year, okay? Not to the second, but it happened a few minutes after we were inside. It started raining again on carrot day, and it didn't rain all the day before. So God loves to answer the prayers of children. So anytime, we want to be weaving Jesus into our experience in everyday life, especially when you're about to get in the car and drive or the family's about to separate and go go different ways for a period of time. How about this one? Ministering angels will guard children who are thus dedicated to God. So whenever I leave to go to a speaking appointment or to go to to Grand Rapids for the day and into town for the day or whatever, always be praying as you separate as a family because ministering angels will guard a family that's dedicated to God in this way before you separate. So that's basically what these parents are like as people. Because they study the Bible, because they are are, are walking with the Lord, and they live out what they are teaching to their children, they become the kind of parent that actually brings Christ into their lives. That's the most important lesson for the whole seminar. We're going to spend a few more hours on this, but way more important than all of the strategies. Everybody wants, like, give me the seven-point success strategy on how to have a new kid by Thursday or whatever. It's like, Way more important than the how-to is the who you are. All those strategies are important and they will follow. But once you get this part right that we've just covered, you've got 95% of the battle. Because when you're walking, the Lord, he'll lead you. And yes, he will lead you to get those books out and study the strategies. But let's finally get into now, not just who they are, but what do they view as their role as a parent? What Barna found was successful parents believe something absolutely crazy that parenting is their number one job in life. Now, I said that that's absolutely crazy because it's a pretty revolutionary way to view parenting. To say, you know, this is who I am. This is what I'm all about. We like to be pulled this way and that, and I've got my career over here and this over there. Successful parents viewed parenting as their primary job in life. And that takes a total paradigm shift. That, that's not the way that I necessarily grew up thinking about family issues. So I'm going to need my viewpoint on parenting to be adjusted. That's what many of these parents did. He also found in the research that a lot of these parents grew up in homes where the values and the parenting experience was not the best. But they said to themselves, they had this moment of conversion. Something switched, something flipped, where they said, everything that I saw then when I was a kid, I'm not going to do in my home. I'm going to do it differently converted people. They said, this is my number one job in life. Successful parents' parenting values were a result of seeking to obey God. So they went to the Word of God and God himself established the family relations. His Word is the only safe guide in the management of children. And indeed, indeed, isn't that true? So back to this thing of of it being their number one job in life. It's that conversion, yes, going to the Word of God. But what about the number one job in your life? Let not home education be regarded as a secondary matter educating your children is not a second that means it's a primary matter right you're listening to 11th hour dispatch with author teacher and speaker scott ritzmer for more programs and information visit eleventhhourdispatch.com. thhourdispatchcom what does it take to raise spiritually strong young people in our homes Well, the George Barna research results are in. Parents who have had actual measurable success, who have raised their children to become solid Christian young adults, these parents actually spent hours per day in dialogue with their children. They were good listeners. They actually spent large quantities of quality time investing in their relationship with their kids. Any parents with children in the home need to know this. Write down the DVD title and share it with them right away. It's called, How to Raise the Remnant. Now, more than ever, parents are in desperate need of solid biblical counsel to guide us back to God's plan for raising godly children in these last days. Visit 11thHourDispatch.com and use promo code RADIO for a reduced suggested donation rate. Wonderful, merciful Savior, precious Redeemer and friend, who would have thought Of men. Oh, you rescue the souls of men. We need to make the education of our children a business, for their salvation depends largely upon the education given them in childhood. To the mother and father, the right training of their children is the most important work of their life. Are you getting the picture here? When parents see the importance of their work in training their children, when they see that it involves eternal interests, they will feel that they must devote their best time and thought to this work. Make it your life work to form the characters of your children according to the divine pattern. There is no more important missionary field than your own home. The management and instruction of children is the noblest missionary work that any man or woman can undertake. So you've heard it. It should be your primary work. Make it a business. It's the most important work of your life. Make it your life work. Give it your best time and thought. It's the noblest missionary work. Mothers, especially, bear a greater responsibility in their work than does the king upon his throne. How about this one? How sad it is that many parents have cast off their God-given responsibility to their children and are willing that strangers should bear it for them. The media and the schools raising our kids is a tragic, tragic reality to be outsourcing this role which next to God is the most important on earth. An angel could not ask for a higher mission. How tragic it is then that we send them off to be raised by others. If you ignore your duty as wife and mother and hold out your hands for the Lord to put another class of work in them, be sure that he will not contradict himself. He points you to the duty you have to do at home If you have the idea that some work greater and holier than this has been entrusted to you, you are under a deception. Now, I would never say that to somebody from my point of view. I'm only sharing with you what inspiration says, and it confronts us straight in the eyes here. It says, if you are under the deception that the the feminist movement brought to women, saying, oh, if you're a mother, then you're just some sort of uh, oppressed uh, you know, social construct of this thing that is not even real. And women should break the bonds of these uh, socially oppressive institutions like motherhood and, and put the kids in the daycare and the school and, you know, have a career and, you know, that whole lot. You are under a deception if that is the mindset of the mother. It is page 24 of Child Guidance where it says that mother must stand preeminent in the training of children. But let's be hard on the guys too, okay? (laughs) I need this one. It's not just moms who are given such strong um, counsel. And it's not just mothers who who, who have been brainwashed by our culture to view that they have something more important than parenting. It's also fathers. I saw that but few fathers realize their responsibility. The father's duty to his children cannot be transferred to the mother. If she performs her own duty, she has burden enough to bear. Only by working in unison can the father and mother accomplish the work which God has committed to their hands. This quote changed the direction of my life. I was a teacher, full-time, and I was starting to present Media on the Brain seminars. And with that ministry starting to develop and grow and come into existence, while I also had a full-time teaching job, I found myself very busy and found myself with a baby at home. And my wife and I had some conversations about how does life look now that this is going like this and this is staying here and the baby's coming. Okay. Well, you know what? I read this quote right when we were struggling with that and it says this, Fathers, spend as much time as possible with your children. Which brings me to the next quote because that says if he is engaged in business which almost wholly closes the door of usefulness to his family, he should seek other employment which will not prevent him from devoting some time to his children. So I literally resigned from my full-time teaching position, moved then into part-time and now to no-time teaching to be able to do this ministry in a way that I can spend as much time as possible with my children. And that's the mandate for men. This is not just something, oh, you know, we're going to have some 1950s, uh, you know, leave it to beaver kind of thing where, you know, you got the cute mother in her dress and, you know, we get this idea of this is the proper family from the culture too. No, men have to take deep interest in their families and spend as much time as possible with their children. Yes, the mother stands at the preeminence, but that doesn't mean that we can just kind of be in the background. No way. In fact, what Barna found here is that successful parents' homes had one full-time parent, and their socioeconomic status was not a factor. So what does that mean? That means one of them, whether mother or father, it could be a father in some situations as well, is a full-time parent. And that means you have to make sacrifices financially and redefine what our needs are. My family, we we sold our house and, and moved into a mobile home. Because that was part of what would need to happen in order for my wife to be able to stay at home. And you might say, well, come on, are we supposed to, you know, live in poverty? Well, poverty in many cases is a blessing, for it prevents youth and children from being ruined by inaction. So when you have to grow food in order to survive, that might be a good thing for kids. The thankful hearts and kind looks are more valuable than wealth and luxury. And contentment with simple things will make home happy if love be there. Of course, we want balance in all things. We want to make sure that we are earning the income that, that is needed to support a family and not to do anything reckless. But we certainly don't want to sacrifice our children in order to make sure that we can have the big house and the big toys and the lifestyle that uh, we see the keeping up with the Joneses needs to dictate that we have. So how about this one, though? Successful parents spent hours in dialogue with their children. So they actually just lived life with their children. They spent hours speaking to them. And by the way, speak to your children at a normal level. Don't don't speak down to them like just, you know, baby talk and, and just, you know, speak a different language to them. No, you're trying to teach them English or whatever language you might speak. You're trying to induct them into how to be a normal human being. Don't demean them with that sort of, you know, sort of thing. Uh, by the way, my I like what my friend Joshua White says. He's the one that does the Classroom of the Remnant. He points out that, uh, that, that when we're raising our children we're not trying to raise them to become children we're trying to raise them to become adults right? and so we want them interacting with people of various ages we want them interacting with mom and dad in a way where they can be inducted into what it means to live in the world as a, as a grown person and so these parents talk with them hours per day my wife pretty much spends her life talking with our two Levi and Silas they just do life together and that's going to be what's absolutely best for the kids. And, and and Barna also found in that vein that successful parents invested enormous quantities of time, of course, with their children. So quality time and quantity time. You have to have both. It has to be good quality time, and there needs to be lots of it. Hours in dialogue. By the way, if you're talking dads and sons, it takes a while with a lot of guys sometimes in order to get hours of dialogue going. So this is serious investments of time. Speaking to fathers, cultivate friendship with them, especially with your sons. In this way, you will be a strong influence for good. I'll tell you, there are four words that absolutely changed my son Levi's day. When I say these four words, his face lights up and his eyes beam with joy. And the words are, one-on-one time. Or you might say that's one hyphenated word, whatever. When I say one-on-one time to my son, Levi, we're going to have one-on-one time. That's code for dad and I are going to do something special together. I've got an awesome story about that, but I'm not going to tell it right now because I tell it in the subsequent uh, interview series. uh, That's going to be disc five and six. But nonetheless, in Child Guidance, page 271, it says that the hearts of the parents and the children need to be welded together. I have learned a lot about parenting from my friends Paul and Carolyn Rain. They have a series called The Connected Family. And it's a it's a rather lengthy series, but they spend half of it, literally the first half, just on this theme of how to be connected with our children by spending time together, by finding quality time, by having family time, by by how to just form that bond and be connected with our children. If training our children is just some sort of disconnected thing of, you know, order and, and, and just, you know, commands, you know, there, there needs to be that. But if there's not the connection there, that's, that's not going to work. It's the same way with our relationship with God. He gives us commands. He is our Lord. There is authority. But also, Jesus is the friend of sinners. He is our brother. He was not ashamed to call us brothers. No time, says the Father, I have no time to give to the training of my children, no time for social and domestic enjoyments, then you should not have taken upon yourself the responsibility of a family. By withholding from them the time which is justly theirs, it is theirs, you rob them of the education which they should have at your hands. If you have children... You have a work to do in union with the mother in the formation of their characters. You have brought children into the world who have had no voice in regard to their existence. You have made yourself responsible in a great measure for their future happiness, their eternal well-being. The burden is upon you, whether you are sensible of it or not, to train these children for God. I always hear the same thing. It is the cry of many mothers. I have no time to be with my children. Then, for Christ's sake, spend less time on your dress Neglect, if you will, to adorn your apparel. Neglect to receive and make calls. Neglect to cook an endless variety of dishes. Neglect to keep up on Facebook posts. Neglect to watch TV. Neglect to be on your phone. Okay, I added those, but let's continue on with the quote. But never, never neglect your children. What is the chaff to the wheat? Let nothing interpose between you and the best interests of your children. My wife wanted to share something about this. She said that, Many times we just commit, we overcommit, we do try to do too many things, and we try to be all things to all people, and be involved with the church, and the sisters, and the extended family, and the, the, all these people need a lot of things, and we have a lot of relationships, and we have a lot of commitments and, and contacts, but you know what, you can't be all things to all, thing, all people, but you do need to be pretty much all things to your children. And that means cut out everything else from your life that impedes this work from being done. Let not a mother allow her mind to be occupied with too many things. She must allow nothing to divert her mind. Not until the final settlement when the cases of all will be decided and the acts of our entire lives will be laid open to our view in the presence of God and the Lamb and of all the holy angels will parents realize the almost infinite value of their misspent time. The right conception of God through the knowledge of Christ who died that we might be saved should be impressed upon the children's minds. You may think, parents, that you have not time to do all this, but you must take time to do your work in your family, else Satan will supply the deficiency. Cut out everything else from your life that prevents this work from being done and train your children after his order. Neglect anything of a temporal nature. Be satisfied to live economically. Bind about your wants. But for Christ's sake, do not neglect the religious training of yourselves and your children. And that's what Barna found, that successful parents are the ones doing the discipling of their children. These parents don't look to the church, to the school, to the Sabbath school, to the Sunday school, to do the raising and training of their children on a spiritual level. They say, this is our job. Yes, we'll use the church, if necessary, the school, to support our efforts. But parents view themselves as, parents as their number one priority and job in life. They have hours of dialogue with their children. They have substantial quantity of time, not just quality of time. And they say, we are the ones that are responsible to train our children for the Lord, to disciple them to Jesus. And that's what we're going to look at in session two we're going to see how the great big task of making little disciples stands before every parent. To financially support this broadcast, visit 11thhourdispatch.com. Here's Scott Ritzema with another final minute message. If you're familiar with the big controversy of post-World War II era in the movies, it was subliminal messages. People were caught slipping subliminal messages into the movies to make you go buy popcorn and whatnot people have questioned whether that actually worked or not. The latest studies have shown absolutely that subliminal messaging has a powerful effect. In fact, 95% of visuals, even hidden visuals, are picked up by the subconscious mind. That data is in all of our brains. An advertising group, they go on and say, in today's violence-saturated world, goodness and protection or self-preservation are subconsciously sought incessantly. So we, the advertisers, promise protection through product consumption from the very anxieties we instigate. So they're going to instigate some anxieties in you subconsciously. Brought to you by Belt of Truth Ministries.org.